0: Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. And today is episode 156. And this is part three of Critical Race Theory. And this is very interesting. So there are some things that I came across that kind of are making more sense. But at the same time, it's like the more I dive into this, and the more specific it gets, strangely, the more vague it gets. So which is really weird. So I did find out that critical race theory was introduced into basically the educational field in the mid-1990s. So I'm kind of not surprised by that. Um, It's one of those things that whenever you have educators that think they're right and everybody else is wrong, especially these elitists and these scholars that work at these universities, typically what they like to do is they like to implement their work, Basically within the public school system. So needless to say, there are many people, or people, parents, that have their kids in public school and they don't like what the public schools are doing. And I don't blame them on that. So sometimes public school systems, unfortunately, are used as kind of the guinea pig for any kind of test or theories or teachings, Whereas private schools and home schools are not viewed that way, and they're not treated that way. So you know, I'll give an example. I remember being in school, I think it was my junior year of high school. I could not make heads or tails of our chemistry book. It was insane. And our teacher was this, this genius, supposedly, quote-unquote genius. He was 28 years old. And instead of starting at the front of the book, the textbook, He started at the back of the book, and that's how you want to teach us. I was like, I don't even know the basics, and here's another thing. We did not even have a book for several weeks, so then he was quizzing us on stuff that we were not even taught, and I was like, dude, you're totally ruining my, my GPA, my grade. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, so it was really bizarre, but you see, here's the thing. That's an elitist mindset. He's a genius. Our public school was supposedly very lucky and very fortunate to have him. We were not. Um, He ruined my GPA. He was a jerk. And he picked on me in class, and I hated it. It was horrible. And so eventually I switched classes. Like I had to beg the counselor to switch me because I was like, I can't stand this guy. I was like, I can't make heads or tails of this. It's ruining my GPA. So I got switched to a different class. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. So it's one of those things that sometimes elitists, You know, it really is all about them. Well, that is exactly what has happened with critical race theory. Critical race theory, again, it's just a theory. It's not proven. And what's interesting is that almost every single writer or person that is associated with critical race theory, they're, for the most part, they're either black, Asian, or a mixed race and almost all of them are either professors, or they claim to be a scholar, they may be an actor, or they may just be like a political activist. So basically they pat themselves on the back, and they're just siding with something that is very Marxist and is very anti-America. But yet, every single one of these writers that I have found, they're from America, and as far as I know, they're still in America. So it's like, well, if you think America is such a big problem... Why are you still in America? Like, why are you still here? It makes no sense to me. You know, I look at it this way. You know, if you live in an area that you don't like, what does a normal functioning human do? You pick up and you move. You move to where you want to live. So it's like, well, these people, I don't understand why they stay in the United States. Well, on the other hand, I kind of do understand because they want to rock the boat they want to take over basically our legal system because they want everybody to question our, our, our legal doctrines and our legal order and our justice system. And so what's interesting about critical race theory is, is they want to – they basically want to destroy the laws that we have in America just so they can rewrite them themselves because, you know, as you remember, they, they claim to be scholars – and be educated. So basically they're the geniuses and we are the peasants and the peons and the morons. And so they want to control so much of our legal system because they already have kind of a a pretty strong hold on our educational system. Now you're probably thinking, well, how did this happen? Well, what a lot of people may not know is that in order for universities and colleges to be accredited in the United States, one of the things that they have to teach is evolution, and they have to teach other things that the federal government deems. Hey, you have you have to teach these; otherwise, you're not going to be accredited, and you will not receive uh, federal uh, grant dollars. Now, you will not receive uh, tax dollars in terms of grant money. Basically, this is why we have. More and more uh, colleges springing up that are not accredited, but they are a university. It's because they refuse to go along with what the federal government is trying to mandate to them. So basically the federal government is mandating that our, our students and our kids be taught all this garbage, which includes evolution and CRT. Now I'm not saying that evolution does not exist per se, but if you're saying that the only reason why we're here is evolution, that's not true. Everything evolves one way or another. I mean that's just how it is, but but to think that we evolved from nothing is stupid. I mean that that just makes no sense. So needless to say, the federal government, aka the Department of Education, they've been controlling universities for many decades now, unfortunately. And so that's why these professors that are very strange and very bizarre and have really weird theories like critical race theory are allowed to work at these universities, and that's really the only place they can work because they're pretty weird people. Like, there's no way that these people can work at a private sector job. Like, just think about. Like, think about some of the people we discussed in terms of critical race theory. You know, would you really want a manager that... um, tries to get you to feel guilty about being white, that's an HR violation. Like, that's an HR issue right there. Like, that could easily get a lawsuit against that company because of that manager's stupidity. Or say, for example, you have a manager at a company that says, well, we're going to practice critical race theory in our hiring practices, so we're not going to hire anyone that's white. Well, that is very offensive. Or let's say, for example, they're only going to hire uh, black people. Well, that's a fit, uh, that's offensive to whites, Asians, and everybody else, right? So this is why these people, the only circle of friends or circle of comrades or you know coworkers they can really be around, is basically in our educational system because that's really sadly the only place where they can work and where they can really function. And also, that's basically where they're causing all these problems. Because, again, a theory is not definitive. It really is not. You know, I'll give an example here. It says that um, in his introduction to the comprehensive 1995 publication of Critical Race Theory's key writings, Cornell West described CRT as an intellectual movement that is both particular to our postmodern and conservative times and part of a long tradition of human resistance and liberation. So he doesn't believe in being conservative. Not at all. Here's the thing. When I looked him up, he is a socialist. He believes in Marxism, but he also claims to believe in Christianity and he thinks Or he claims that that's where a lot of his inspiration comes from, is from Marxism, socialism, and Christianity. Well, well, here's the thing. If you are a Christian, um, you really shouldn't believe in Marxism or socialism because you're making government your God. And that's not right. And you know, what's interesting is that under Marxism, usually churches are immediately closed. That's what happened in communist Russia because Marxism and communism are very much linked together. So you'd be surprised how many of these these theorists and this guy isn't really even a writer per se, you know, in, in the strongest sense of critical race theory because, you know, yes he he did some writings on it, but he's not one of the original writers because that goes back to the 60s and 70s, but he's one of these baby boomers that is kind of a muckraker and thinks that um, basically that critical race theory is real, and we need to handle this, and this is a con- a, uh, a continuous problem, and it's, 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 it's an issue, and we shouldn't be conservative. And it's just like, dude, you know, get out in the real world. And this guy went to some really prestigious universities, supposedly. I mean, he's supposedly educated, but here's the thing. The universities that he went to are very snobby and very liberal, so it's like, well... That's probably the problem right there. So if you have kids that are going to college, you need to be careful where you're sending them. I mean, yes, it's cool to go to like UCLA and some of these other schools that, that are very well known. But some of these schools that are very well known, they're very liberal. And they are not teaching our kids the right things about America. If anything, it's encouraging them to doubt America And to not value their country. And it's like, well, if you don't value your country, then how can you really value your future? Because if you don't have a country, then you don't really have that good of a future. See, people like Cornel West and other writers, they're takers, they're not givers. And what I mean by that is that they take basically the the surplus of the land, which would be America. They take it, but they're not giving anything back, is what I mean. And the only thing that they do give back is basically racism and a horrible way of viewing other people. It's really bizarre. It makes no sense to me. You know, what's interesting is the definition of critical race theory from the Encyclopedia Britannica. And this is as of 2021. The Encyclopedia Britannica describes CRT as an intellectual and social movement And loosely organized framework, notice it says loosely organized, okay? So it's not definitive. Loosely organized framework of legal analysis based on the premise that race is not a natural, biological, grounded feature of of anything physical, distinct subgroups of human beings, but a socially constructed, cultural, invented category that is used to oppress and exploit people of color. And let me reword this. It says, biologically grounded feature of physically distinct subgroups of human beings, but a socially constructed, culturally invented category that is used to oppress and exploit people of color. In the video that accompanies the article, CRT is defined as, quote, a way of thinking about the world, especially the social norms and legal practices That governs society. So critical race theory really just wants to change our laws so that it benefits only certain people. Well, I got news for you. That's fraud. That's fraud. And that's not how laws work. Laws are not passed just so someone who doesn't agree with them. Can manipulate them, get them repealed, and then replace them with something that is oppressive on uh, unto or onto other people. Laws are there to protect people, not to hinder anyone. But what's interesting is that critical race theory—the only time they want to be specific is when they're targeting somebody, and that would typically be white people. Because they think that white people are the problem. It's like, wow, really? So we are the problem with the United States? I don't think so. I don't think so. You know, what's interesting is that the United States was founded by, by white people. And also, a bunch of white people fought the British so as to free the people that were already here in these colonies, which not only were there black slaves, but there were white slaves. So critical race theory does not even discuss the white slave trade that was very prevalent at that time, hundreds of years ago. It was very common for little kids to be kidnapped from the streets of London And be forced into white slavery over here in the United States. But we were not the United States at that time. We were colonies of Great Britain. Another thing that white people did, which we have discussed. A bunch of white people fought against each other and had a civil war in order to end slavery officially. And legally. And have it on the books. Mind you people were already freeing their slaves up north. That's why slaves from the south were desperately trying to escape and get up to the north because the northern part of the United States was freeing its slaves already. And some of those people that were freed were going to, were going to schools and they were po- becoming political figures. So if white people are the problem then how is it that it's white people that actually freed the slaves here? How is it that white people actually wrote the Constitution of the United States? I mean, see, to me, critical race theory, if it wasn't so bizarre and disturbing, I mean, I would be offended. But I'm just like, these people are so strange, it's not even worth getting upset about because it's so weird. I'm like, really, so... Basically, you're going to get all the problems of the planet, especially in regards to racism. And like I've said before, put it in a wheelbarrow and just dump it on some white guy's lawn. Does that really make sense? No. It's stupid because it doesn't address the issue. You know, what's interesting about critical race theory is they claim to care about issues, but they're not, they're not addressing them. It's like, well, if someone's being racist, take that person to court. You know, or, and if you don't have a court case, pull them aside and say, hey, what you're saying and doing is not right. You're basing something on, on someone's race. Could you please stop doing that because it's offensive. And if something like this is taking place in, in your place of employment, you go to HR. Or first of all, you go to your manager, then you go to HR. So it's one of those things that there are laws on the books that protect every race. It's not just blacks. It's every race. But with critical race theory, it specifically targets white people. Why? To punish them. It's like, why should we be punished for something that we didn't do and that we're not doing? Isn't that being, um, well, first of all, a liar? Cause you're, you're falsely accusing people of something they didn't do, but also you're being critical of people that haven't really done anything to you. I mean, this may be a newsflash for these scholars that work in critical race theory, but racism can occur at any time, anywhere. I mean, that's what makes it so difficult sometimes to eradicate. But you do not eradicate racism by targeting other people. That's not how you handle it. And also, you don't eliminate racism by manipulating our laws and changing them. You know, just to, you know, just for a whim, you know, or just to secure your way of thinking, which obviously their way of thinking is very wrong. It's really bizarre. Makes no sense. You know what's interesting is whenever people live in what is called victim mentality. Victim mentality is a way of looking at the world through a lens of victimhood all the time. Instead of looking at things from a point of view of, hey, I've got this, I can handle this, I'm confident, I'm self-sufficient, I can do this, I can handle this, I'm going to be fine. There's a difference in how people react to situations based on what lens are they looking at things through. Because it really determines how they handle things. And I don't think people that um, are proponents of critical race theory, I don't think they have stopped being a victim. I think they're, they're making it seem like being a victim all the time, Is basically the way to live and it's not, like that's not right. I mean, just look at it from a psychological point of view. You know, a psychiatrist or a psychologist will tell you living as a victim all the time, it will ruin your life. Even if you were a victim or you are a victim, you have to get out of that mindset. Because if you don't get out of that mindset, you're never going to look at things from the point of view of, hey, I'm strong, I'm confident, I got this. It doesn't mean that you've never suffered, but you're choosing to be strong. And you are reinforcing your rights as an individual. Whereas when someone lives in the victimhood mentality, everybody else is the problem, they are not. And that's a pretty big issue. You know, there's this one guy I worked with. This was several years ago. And I'll close with this. He was such a weird person. He was from India. He griped and complained about everything. And he was not my boss. He was my boss's colleague. But yet he tried to act like my boss whenever my boss was not in the room or whenever my boss was out of town, or things like that, because we worked in a really big department, or uh, yeah, a department. And so we were all in this big room, or whatever, working together. And so finally, I just had to tell someone about this guy because he was bothering me while my boss was out of town. And so my boss's boss took care of it, and then then my boss got back in town. He was mad at me. I was like, No, you don't understand. You were out of town, and this guy. He's been causing some issues. And it's like, you know, when you're gone, he really tries to act like my boss and makes it seem like my job is dependent upon him. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know about that. It's like, yeah, I was going to tell you, but then you went out of town. And this guy started pulling more stuff because I was actually really close to my boss. My boss was pretty cool. But it's one of those things that this guy that would try and act like my boss, he always had an attitude problem. Always. And I kid you not. He would go out to eat um, you know, with the guys in our department. And whenever they would come back from lunch, there would always be some funny story. And they're like, well, the guys that would come back from lunch would tell me, well, he did it again, Leslie. And I would just bust out laughing. And I was like, well, who did he get mad at today? Was it the waitress? Was it the chef? Was it the cook? Was it the busboy? boy? And this one guy goes, oh, you name it, you name it, it was a problem. And so, finally, one of the guys um, pulled this colleague aside and said, hey, you know, what's your problem at lunch? Like, what, what's your deal in general? Like, everybody else is the problem. You know, you find fault with everything. Like, what is the issue? This guy got defensive and he, and he said, no, that waitress was the problem. She did this, this, and this, and you know, he just said all this stuff. And, and so this guy just laughed, because it was funny. It wasn't meant in any kind of hateful way. He just laughed and said, you know, whenever we go out to lunch and we have a bad time, we have a bad experience, the common denominator is you. <laughs> so uh, I thought that was hilarious, because it's true. This guy, who was a grown man, he was an engineer. He was very much way more educated than me. But in terms of mannerisms and how to deal with people, he was a moron and an idiot. He just did not understand stuff. And so this guy just always played the victim, but yet he wanted to be everybody else's boss. And because of his behavior problem, which he was choosing to act that way, he was always playing the victim, even though, even though he's a grown man. Because he was behaving that way, he missed out on many opportunities of getting promoted. Because my boss's boss told me that, yeah, he would love to be a manager, but he's not. He's not a manager for a reason. And we just bust out laughing because we all knew why. You know, he loves power. He loves authority. Like, he, loves to, he would love to stand over people, and he was a foreigner. He loved to stand over people with his arms crossed and just bark orders at them. And it's just like, wow, totally does not understand how to treat other human beings. But yet, he claims to be the victim all the time. It's the same thing with critical race theory. It's the exact same thing. That's why I think some of this stuff is laughable. Because it reminds me of some of these idiots I've worked with over the years. That, you know, they want the power. They want the control. But they don't have the character or the integrity to administer that power or authority. Like, like they don't have what it takes to be a leader. So because they don't have what it takes to be a leader, this guy was very much like a dictator in this office. It was horrible, and this is in Oklahoma. It's like, wow, you'd be surprised how many foreigners come to Oklahoma and try and pull stuff. It's it's hilarious. And sometimes they get away with stuff, but this guy, not happening. Like, he irritated everybody at this company and it was he irritated people in such a way that it was funny because he acted like it was his name on the side of the building not the owner <laughs> so and i don't know why this owner was so nice to him i don't know i'm guessing it's because his work was really good like sometimes engineers sometimes engineers get away with being jerks because it's just a common mindset Or the common thinking, oh, they're just an engineer, that's how they behave. Au contraire. I've seen engineers be really sweet. But it's only to women that they think are hot. So it's a choice in how they behave. It's not that they can't control their behavior. They can't control their personality. They are picking and choosing who they think they are better than is what it is. So just FYI, be aware of that. And if you are an engineer, i got news for you. You're not the be-all, in all You're not a genius. You may be more qualified than some people, but that doesn't mean that you're the boss of everybody on the planet, even though you think that a lot of us um, are peons. Um, we are not. Uh, we have equality here in the United States, and you're not better than anybody else just because you make more money. Because money is not equivalent to intelligence. Because if it was, you would be a moron, too, because you're not a billionaire. So just think about that in terms of your arrogance, your, your arrogante, your arrogance problem. So but anyway, funny story about some guy I used to work with. And just FYI, it was hilarious what this guy did. Like initially, it irritated me because I was like, what is this guy's problem? But what made it funny was when guys would complain about him. And when guys complain about another guy, it's hilarious. I just bust out laughing. And they would hear me laughing and they're like, "Wesley, you don't understand. It's driving us nuts." I'm like, "I know. I work with the man." <laughs> it was so funny. So needs to say, you know, if it hadn't been for the camaraderie, you know, you know with the with the other employees, you know, If I had not had that camaraderie and just have that fellowship, I probably would have been very irritated about this guy. Like this guy probably would have really gotten under my skin. But once I realized that he was the issue on all fronts, like it wasn't just a bad day, every day was a bad day. He always had a scowl on his face. And every once in a while, I would try and tell him a joke and he would just sit there and look at me with this scowl on his face, and not laugh. I'm like, how can you not laugh at that? Like, I almost wanted to say, what is wrong with you? But here's the thing. He did have something wrong with him. It was his attitude. He had a character flaw, and he had an attitude problem. And because of that, it it greatly jeopardized his career. Because he, he may not realize this, but because of his attitude problem... He was pretty much always jeopardizing his career, almost always. I mean, it's one thing to have a bad day or be frustrated or things like that, but every day and everything's an issue. I mean, just, I mean, pencils could be an issue with this guy, a ruler could be an issue with this guy, like paper could be an issue with this guy. I mean, it was just crazy. It was just non-stop frustration, and I'm just like, oh my goodness. This is the moodiest engineer I have ever had to work with in my life. And it's not just because he's from another country, but my goodness, most people from other countries are actually really nice, (laughs) especially where he was from. Um, So I was just kind of surprised. But anyway, you know, I guess some surprises can be very interesting and can make us laugh. But anyway, I will go ahead and end this podcast, but as usual, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
1: Waves transform